Welcome to the Joy of Sunflowers podcast. We release podcasts here, in part and in full, on the Joy of Sunflowers website. The Joy of Sunflowers podcast is about sisterhood through infertility and pregnancy loss. We cover a range of topics including fertility, pregnancy after loss and so much more. I speak with a range of people including wellness professionals, medical experts and beautiful mamas. The aim of this podcast is to bring you information and experiences that will validate and equip you for whatever season you find yourself in right now. Hi, Karen. Welcome to the Joy of Sunflowers. Thank you so much for joining us. And please tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Thanks so much for having me, Ella. Um, So I'm a naturopathic doctor in Ontario, Canada. And I practice like family medicine. So I see a variety of health conditions in my practice. Um, In the fertility world, I started as a practitioner and then turned into a patient um, after we suffered our first miscarriage in 2013. And then, you know, carried on to to try to conceive a word not successful with that so then one year later we went through fertility treatments we did multiple rounds of IUI two rounds of IVF and then ultimately built our family through adoption Um, so it all ended beautifully but the journey was a lot as many of you know let's go into that so starting from the beginning um, even as far as you know were you were you always knowing you wanted to have a family or were you one of those ladies who, you know, weren't, weren't sure until they got married or until they saw the guy and they're like, yes, I want to have babies with you. <laughs> um, I always knew I wanted to be a parent for sure. And um, it was important for me to kind of just get my business started first. So it wasn't like I, I got married when I was young, like 22. And so, you know, it wasn't a top priority at that time at all. And so, you know, a few years and like one or two years into my practice, uh, we were ready to start a family. And so it was exciting, right? Like the, you know, it was like the first or second month we tried, uh, we got pregnant and it just was like, okay, well, things are just kind of winding up and going well. Um, and then, you know, nine weeks later we did end up like having the miscarriage and that kind of changed. That was like the start of this whole massive journey that you, you wouldn't wish on anyone, but, um, somehow we make our way through. But yeah, I did always know that I wanted to be a mom. That's for sure. So with that first miscarriage, how how did that play out if you if you sort of remember any of the details? When I just remember that we were going for a dating ultrasound and um, and then I could just tell by the ultrasound technician, like they wouldn't allow my, my husband in the room. And I think they wait for the heartbeat. And then if there's a heartbeat, they have the partner come in the room, which I don't understand the logic of that, but either way, um, I get a sense that someone wasn't, something wasn't right. And then I got a phone call later on that there was no heartbeat. And so then I shared that news with my husband when he came home from work that day. And it was pretty traumatizing, honestly, at the time, like it was, you know, of course it's common. It does not like change how impactful that experience is. It was a major loss. Like, you know, when you're, you're pregnant and you're young and excited and you literally, we'd already, you know, imagined this whole being, we'd imagined this whole family coming to be. 
And so then it wasn't all of a sudden. So we did, it, it was like um, a natural process of going through the miscarriage. I did not have to have any procedures afterwards, which I was grateful for. I know those can be really challenging, but the, the emotional toll that it took, like that process was, I, I honestly think it was like a year of grieving after, after that. Um, because there wasn't a subsequent pregnancy, I think that probably played into it too. It was just like intensified this loss and then increasing uncertainty over the course of that time. Um, yeah, it was, it was painful. It really was a painful time. And so you had your loss and then you, you didn't get pregnant again? Yeah, I did not get pregnant again. And so after the year, I'd reached out to my medical doctor and got the referral to the fertility clinic. And then we started um, doing the assessments and stuff. So nothing of, nothing of significance came up in the testing. So there was, it was like the, you know, the unexplained infertility. And so we went forward and they're like, you're young and you're healthy and everything's, you know, should be fine. And that was kind of like the theme over the course of my whole infertility experience. People like kind of confused why I was there, didn't understand what was going on, myself included. So um, we went forward and did like two natural timed cycles uh, with the monitoring. We ended up doing six IUI treatments, which... In my opinion, it was too many at the time. You're just like in that hamster wheel of just doing the same thing over and over again and hoping for a different result. Um, after those six IUIs, we moved forward with IVF and we ended up doing two complete cycles of IVF, which was like seven different embryo transfers. Um, none of them resulted in a pregnancy. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, she'd really been through all of it. Yeah. All the different types of things that can be, that can, you can go through it. Yeah. It's kind of bizarre to just like speak those in those few sentences. Cause you know, like there, you know, that's like over the span of a few years that that was going on and even the intensity of any one of those procedures, you know, we know the highs and lows that that brings. So mm -hmm. yeah, it was a, it was a challenging few years for sure. Yeah, I mean, even down to like the the hormone injections and preparing the body, and and then yes. obviously the letdown after each time that didn't, you know, it didn't happen. Then you've got to recover as well. So yeah, that that would have been quite difficult. Yeah. How did you go with that process? Um, that kind of up and down process. Um, probably not well. <laughs> I that it was, yeah, my, the highs, the highs were high and the lows were lows. I can remember like the, like the extreme excitement I have when I was starting something new and different and really being hopeful for, um, for the end result of a pregnancy. And then I do remember the, the intensity and like the depth of the despair that felt when you, when you learn that something did not play out as you were hoping for it to. Um, I know for myself, I'm like, type A person. I like to make things happen. And so alongside doing my fertility treatments, I was seeing an acupuncturist and seeing a, a, a natural, even though I am a naturopathic doctor, I was like seeing a fertility focused naturopathic doctor and um, just like doing every single thing I could possibly do. I can remember at the time taking like 25 like a handful 20, 25 supplements at like per day which was like between the multiple practitioners they had me on and 
it was just like a pretty, like, I was just like in overdrive in hindsight, like just complete overdrive and over functioning, like as a stress, a constant stress state that I was in. Um, so I think on the outside, I probably looked like I was functioning fine because I was like working and doing everything that needed to get done. But looking back, I was like flying through life, just like in this elevated state, just um, trying to manage and do things instead of feel things. It was easier to do all of those things and go to all these appointments than feel the intensity of like the, the overwhelm I was feeling at the time. Yeah. And when you got to the end of that kind of period, like how did you make that decision and did more emotions hit you at that point when you decided that you weren't going to keep going? Yeah, I would say my, my emotions kind of leaked out in different times through the process as well. Um, but yeah, when I came to completing the second round of IVF, um, I knew I just knew I was done. I was like, I can see myself, like I was just actually in burnout mode. And so I can remember even the last cycle that I was on, the fertility specialist was talking about this whole long intensive process. He was going to put me on, that was going to induce menopause. And it was going to be like this more than a month long preparatory time before doing the final transfer. And I actually interrupted him while he was explaining all of these things. He's like hot flashes and night sweats. And I was like, so I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm done. So what's the least invasive protocol that won't interfere with like my chances of this being successful. I don't want to just like wish this away, but I want to do this properly, but there's no chance I'm doing what you're describing you're recommending for me to do. So at that time, and he knew because at the start of that second IVF, I was already pretty much done, but we decided to do it one more time. And so, yeah, at that time I, I was done before I even finished my last round so when it came as a negative on the testing I was actually just relieved like I could not continue at that pace and with that intensity and with the emotional like intensity I I couldn't carry that on like anymore so it to me it was really clear that that was my time was done in the fertility treatment world so I know not everyone's experience is like that mm-hmm. it just in every cell of my body like it was just like this is like the end and so that it was relieving for me yeah no it sounds like it, it, it when you when you make a decision and you're like I I've had enough now yeah I can understand yeah. what why that would be relieving when you found out um yet yeah, it, it hasn't worked because then you're like it's over I'm done like I've I'm finished yeah yes gosh yeah it felt good in a weird way. And I think the reality is like behind the surface, you're kind of like grieving yeah. this, these losses of what you imagined your uh, life to be, what you imagined your experience to be. Uh, you're kind of grieving that along the way. And so it wasn't like it all hit me at that time. I think, yeah, the process was over those years. Yeah. So after after that that chapter ended, how did you move into the next one? 
So actually, when you'd asked me the question, did I always want to be a parent? I meant to mention that prior to us even getting married, my husband and I, um, we had had the conversation, you know, oh, let's have, we'll have like two biological children, but adoption was actually always a part of our family plan. We're like, we'll have two biological children and then we'll adopt two children, you know, in this, in this world where you can imagine your family be whatever it's going to be. So before we knew that we were going to be going through infertility. So when we got pregnant, had our miscarriage, like going through fertility treatments was a natural like next step. And then when we saw that through our natural next step was then moving towards adoption. So it was always part of our plan, international adoption specifically as well, um, before we even got married. So um, we gave ourselves a couple of months to, to just get the clear headspace and give some space between all of the intensity of what we had just been through and gather ourselves. So we actually on purpose just said, we're not actually talking about anything to do with family building for a few months mm. to let each of us on our own, just kind of process and heal from what we've been through. So we can have a clear mind and uh, make decisions that work for us, like in a clear headspace. So then we, then we just started the conversation and the uh, process of adoption. How did you guys sort of start the process? Because obviously you discussed it. You were like, okay, let's do it. Um, did you go online? Did you call someone? Like how did, how does, how does that process start? I literally Googled like adoption in Ontario, Canada. And then there's a website that comes up and then it kind of just breaks down all these different, like, you know, local adoption, local, private, local, public, um, international adoption. And then, so, yeah, so we kind of went through all of the possibilities and everything. And then we, we know some people who have adopted as well. So we did kind of have conversations with them throughout this time too. Uh, we know a few families who adopted internationally. And so we spoke with them and met with them um yeah so then it just it just kind of lined up we kind of just went with our with you know kind of our hearts at that point and so we we chose international adoption from Thailand and so then we started that process so then that kind of funnels you into okay these are the requirements these are the steps these are who you need to contact and um we went from there let's go into the process so what's the hardest thing that you have to do within the process? Um, it's not the hardest one thing. It's the amount of things that are required all together that make it hard. So the nice thing about pursuing adoption and moving through the process of adoption is that you're literally, you are checking things off and moving yourself forward. Whereas sometimes in fertility, it feels like you're spinning your wheels and you don't know if you're ever going to gain traction. And so at the time and where we were at, it felt really good for us to be like, okay, police check, check, moving forward. You know, we kind of went through that process. So it's not, no one individual task is super challenging, but there are so many tasks that need to be done and you try to do that in the most efficient way. So I was really motivated at the time and I kind of took the reins, went through all of the paperwork. You're preparing your paperwork that's going to be submitted then to Thailand. And so 
you need to do like a home, a home study and people come like your adoption practitioner comes to your home multiple times to get to know you, ask questions, make sure that you're like a fit for adoption. And we did like psychological evaluations, medical records, financial record checks, like it's just kind of combing through and it all makes sense, right? We're dealing with a very vulnerable population. So it's important that they do that super clean sweep. There were multiple courses that we took. Um, so yes, it's just a lot of different things. No one thing is challenging. It's just the timeline. And then sometimes just waiting for documents and waiting was probably, waiting was the hardest. <laughs> All that to say, the waiting pieces would be the hardest, yeah. Yeah, well, I guess it would be like um, any kind of waiting when you're when you really want something and you know it's like within your grasp and you're like yeah just this one I just have to wait what two weeks two weeks okay I can wait two weeks and then you get another yes. one and they're like okay now we need this <laughs> yeah exactly it's like the adoption version of the two-week wait in fertility we yeah. had experience time so <laughs> in terms of um the process and the waiting and and all that like do you feel like your profession actually kind of prepared you for doing all the paperwork and jumping through all the hoops um I I think yeah in in a, in a way and I think I think even more preparatory was like the infertility process you know there's hoops you jump through there and there's different the different things you go through in the fertility stuff, I feel like that helped, you know, we're used to being patient and waiting and understanding that you really can't control many aspects, what you can control, you kind of latch onto and what you can't control, you release. Um, my, I don't know if my actual work did, I'm sure in some ways just kind of keeping organized and stuff, but. Yeah. Paperwork and the courses and. Yeah. Training, training sort of what, what yeah. were the courses like? um for for adoption you know what we they were really great actually there's a course called pride it's just like a family like a family like parenting type of course and then we did a specific course on like international adoption so things to be like when you're when you have like an interracial family and um just key components to be mindful of and pay attention to and um bring awareness to as you're building your family this way but the family course it was just really helpful, like talking about like attuning to your child and what that looks like. Um, I remember at the time thinking, you know, why do we have to take a parenting course when other people don't need to? So, you know, another expense and another thing you need to do to check off the list. But so just at the time, it just felt a little bit like we shouldn't really have to. But then when we went through it, I'm like, everyone should take a course like this. It, it was really helpful for us. And we met amazing people there going through the same thing, which is beautiful. Um, it was a really impactful, That was, those were really impactful times for us. Like we actually learned a lot and appreciated it afterwards. Yeah, it sounds like it. I've got to say when you, um, when you have a baby um, naturally and you take it home, there is this kind of, what do I do? Right. <laughs> um, I I have this human and, and I'm supposed to look after it and do all the things and, you know, okay, 
no, like you're just you're just shocked that you have that position and you have that child and it's your responsibility. So I think, yeah, yeah having a, having everyone take that kind of course would actually be beneficial. Um, not that they do that, obviously, <laughs> but um, yeah, it would definitely benefit. I think a lot of a lot of people. But yeah, I think we'd be like, oh, well, I don't need that, but it's beneficial. It is. Even just like different concepts and like attaching to your child and like the what what the child needs at different stages of their life. Like it was just a really, really neat uh, course. And then it was neat to be taking the course alongside other people who are at the same position. So just from the social aspect and, you know, working through expectations you have on your kid and that we really shouldn't have that or project that onto kids. And so I can remember this one exercise we did and I think it's just wise like they're like write down you know or draw like your the perfect child what color eyes do they have what color hair do they have and what are their personality traits and what do they like to do and you know all the details like write all of those things down and everyone did this individually i'm just like okay like so you're looking, looking at this like at this child now take the sheet of paper and rip it up totally and it's just like the concept of we can have all these like subconscious like expectations or hopes and dreams and everything. And it's actually so unfair to be placing it on these children. So it's just this, it was a neat exercise. I'll never forget it. And it was just like, okay, wow. Yeah. These are just like individuals that we get to learn and meet and figure out and, and love and care for and all these things. But we just, they're their own person. And then we are there to support them. I really hope you enjoyed the first part of this podcast. If you'd like to listen to the rest, please visit thejoyofsunflowers.com. Please note that all speakers, including experts and professionals, express information, views and opinions that should not be used to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any medical conditions. If you have a medical issue, please consult a qualified professional. Speakers voice their own views, opinions and conclusions and they may not reflect the views, opinions and conclusions of other speakers. Ella Rose, The Joy of Sunflowers and its sponsors may not endorse all or any of the views, opinions or conclusions expressed.